the other thing is forget about whether there's going to be conflicts about time. Do you want to be, you, do you want to be in a program where they're not going to be supportive of student athletes? or they're going to say, Hey, I don't like you because you're an athlete. Like to me, you want to make sure you sort that out ahead of time. Like, how do you feel about athletes? There are programs and it doesn't matter what it is, art, theater, whatever, where you, that, you know, Paul Robeson, Robeson, Paul Robeson was a, you know, brilliant actor at Rutgers. He was also a brilliant, you know, football player and a, the top student in the school. And there was evidently no conflict as far as doing those things. He did all of them. You know, those guys worked it out. And so there's places where they're going to love you because you, they understand you're contributing to the college. And, you know, there's also professors who at some point were locked in a locker or something by a football player and resented it and, you know, want to take it out on a gymnast. And I don't understand that, but I think, you know, it's a big world out there. Ask them ahead of time. If your teen is a student athlete considering playing in college, it's not as simple as yes or no. There's navigating connections with college coaches, developing application materials, including essays, negotiating athletic scholarships or financial aid officers, and most importantly, making informed decisions on committing to a college where the student can truly excel. Dave Morris is College Athletic Advisor's founder and CEO and has spent more than two decades helping prospective student athletes find their 360-degree fit in college. He's also been a coach and a college administrator with experience at every level of the NCAA. So he's a perfect guest to help you navigate finding your student's fit, including whether your student should pursue Division One, Two, or Three or one of the 800 schools that don't even fit into one of those categories. I'm Lisa Marker-Robbins, and I want to welcome you to College and Career Clarity, a Flourish coaching production. Let's dive right in to a great conversation. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. I am too. I mean... The number, you probably know the answer to this. I mean, the number of high school athletes or what percentage of high school athletes even go on to play in college? Well, it's interesting. It's about 5%. Okay. Um, and for, that's where I was males, like. it's a little lower. Yeah, but it's right about 5%. Uh, the, but that's a deceptive number because for a lot of high school student athletes, when they finish high school, they are ready to retire. They've, they've done, their, they've done yeah. their time. I think one of the interesting things about college sports is there's kind of a uh, there's a butt for every seat, but there's also kind of a seat for every butt. Uh, if you want to play in college, colleges, most colleges have athletic programs because it is the most economically efficient student success and support program they've ever invented. OK, say a little bit more about that. So I know I think we all know college athletics is super lucrative at most or many colleges. So they're bringing in some money. And so it's important. And kids kids and adults were season tickets holders for my husband's university that he attended. And we've gone on the road to follow our team. So, that, you know, we all, most people, there's some piece of college athletics that they like. But go back to that statement that you just said. Well, for most schools, the, the reality is college, uh, college athletic programs generate a lot of revenue. 
they don't generate profits mostly. There's about ah. 10 or 15 colleges that actually make money in athletics. That's going to go up slightly. The new Big Ten TV deal is going to help like Rutgers will get out of the hole. But the the reality is they have athletic programs because they that's your best students. In most colleges, that's your recruiting. Those are the best students you're going to bring to campus or a disproportionate percentage of your best students. Also, it's the best support. What's the biggest predictor of student success is that they have an adult who cares about them. If you're a kid on a team, you've got a coach who's interested in your success. In Division One or Two, if you don't succeed, they could become ineligible for postseason. Because they well, you probably are. am I right? Like you probably have more than one adult that is invested in your success because they have tutors, they've got people planning out their food, they've got well, there's all kinds of, you know, college athletics goes from, you know, University of Michigan football, where they have dietitians and strength and conditioning coaches and a staff of thousands to, uh, you know, just staying in football. Like there's, you know, Rose Holman, where they have four or five coaches and they're nice guys and they make sure kids are successful, you know, or they have a soccer team where they got a coach and maybe a part-time assistant or something, but they've still got academic support people. You've still got an adult they don't even need a lot of schools don't have athletic specific if they're smaller schools athletic specific support but the coaches know who the right person is to support a student who's struggling and I mean I, don't, I can't tell you as a coach how many times kid came in my office like hey we're struggling in this class a professor just called me how can I help you and the student said and then you know what let's walk over and talk to the right person because I'm not going to tutor you in you know, multivariable <laughs> math, right? I'm a soccer coach, like one, two, three, and then I'm lost, right? So, and I was an Asian studies major in college, so there's definitely no. Oh math yeah, there. you're you're not the math guy. No, not the math guy. So, you know, here let's let's walk over, and and of course, what that makes them highly likely to actually follow through, as opposed to any other student who would have to like find that office, call them. We know how that goes. Uh, but then also because you've got this and, and you have a ready-made set of peers, right? And they're not just right. uh, freshmen. You know, when you when you come to college and you go through kind of freshman orientation, all your friends are kind of the same year you are. The thing about athletic teams is that it's a multi-year set of relationships. So you immediately have friends who are seniors and juniors, you know, upperclassmen who know the campus. It's a totally different experience. When I was at Emory yeah. University, one of the things that uh, sort of accidentally got said in a meeting was they were working to try kids were studying with their friends, right? So if you're a bio major and your friend's an econ major, you sit together, but you can't help each other. And sort of offhand, the woman who was leading the session said, you know, the one group of people who doesn't do that are athletes because they'll sort themselves by the classes they're taking. So it was really meaningful. And then those students go on because of those relationships to become more involved alums. They're better donors. They're better advocates for the college. They're connected to the college. Yeah. That, so that is fascinating. Now, I want to go back to something you said. You know, you use a very practical example from my area of the country. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. You're out in Washington State. So you said, you know, you've got University of Michigan, who is well-staffed, like well beyond a, a single vested. And you've got Rose Holman, which also is not very far from here, but a little over an hour, very small engineering. And you're like, you're going to have a staff of four coaches who's going to be interested. So that brings me to like, I want to talk about 
Division one, two, three, you had told me there's about 800 schools that don't even belong to one of those categories. So how does a student figure out if they're best suited to division one, two, or three, or one of the other schools that, you know, maybe an NAIA school. I went to undergrad at an NAIA, NAIA school. Love the NAIA. I have to say I have a soft spot for the NAIA. Uh, you know, I love it's, the NCAA well, too. But. Let's talk about, let's just, first of all, tell people what is the NAIA? It, you're better to answer it than I am. Because a lot of people haven't even heard of it. And then, so tell us what NAIA is. And then let's talk about, like, how do you figure out what division you belong in? Awesome. Well, the NAIA is just, uh, it originally was the bigger of the two groups. The NCAA was sort of the elite Northeastern schools and the really big land-grant colleges all over the country. And the NAIA was everybody else. Because it's like 25 bucks to join the NAIA. It's not expensive. Uh, Or it wasn't. Now, And they ran the first championships. Like the yeah. uh, the first basketball championships and the NAIA basketball championship up until the 60s was as bigger, bigger than the NCAA championship. Then the NCAA discovered a TV deal and, you know, in UCLA, then that turned into a giant thing. Uh, and the other thing the NCAA did is federate. They developed different divisions. And so it became sensible for some schools to, for a lot of schools to peel out of the NAI. So in the sixties, fifties, right up till now, I mean, schools leave the NAI and go to different NCAA divisions. Because there's, there's a place for them where previously that really had not been a place for some of the smaller schools. Right. And, and I think also, you know, you go where you're, you, you, I have a sort of steady state theory for colleges. Like there used to be the Ohio athletic conference, like, Walsh, Malone, a lot of those little private colleges, and they used to all at Lake Erie was in that. They were all NAIA, and then they started going to Division Two. So now they're all Division Two. At the end of the day, they're all playing. You got to play the guys who are local. Like you got to play the schools that are like you. So you can't kind of. There's no escaping that. So they all eventually go D two, or they do this or that. California is doing the same thing. A bunch of schools went to Division Two, but the the reality is schools sign up. You just sign up. Like the NAI is an organization that basically the college presidents get together and set rules for championships and how they're going to compete together. And they have, you know, slightly different rules. It's a little bit light. It's a lighter weight organization compared to the NCAA where the NCAA has to monitor Alabama and Auburn and make sure <laughs> that they don't, because like, or Ohio State and Michigan, right? If, no, if there was right. no cop on the beat, like, what's the limit that they would go to to win? Right. So how does, a, how does a student then, a high school student, who's really interested in, you know, and I know you work really hard about a holistic fit for your student athletes that you're working with in your organization, how do they find their place and know if it's D1 or Division two, three? Yeah. I think those labels, I mean, I keep saying, you know, it's not a wedding cake. It's a student. Right. There's ah. people think. Okay. ESPN Tell says, me more about that. Yeah. What? Okay. A wedding cake. What do you mean by it's not a wedding NCAA, cake? NCAA, like yeah. the ESP, you watch ESPN, you're going to think that like there's a wedding cake. Division one at the top, division two in the middle, division three at the bottom, the NAI. Like, where the heck is that? We've never heard of it. It's not on ESPN. Uh, the reality is there are elite programs in every division, right? There's elite division one programs. There are also non elite division one programs. I, I don't want to call out a specific school on a podcast or anything. 
But like, if you want to be a volleyball division one volleyball student athlete this fall, I got a couple programs that would sign you. And the main qualification was your female. Like if you, if you qualify, they would like to give you a full ride. That's a, and volleyball is a headcount sport. You get a full ride. If, if one of the 350 D one coaches says, I want you, you're a D one athlete. But the reality is that college sports, most college athletic programs are in a band of like, these are college programs. And it doesn't matter whether they're division one, two, three, NAI, whatever they are, they're some are really elite and they're at the elite edge of that band. And then there's some that are not elite. And then there's some that are, you know, struggling for a variety of reasons and are sort of below the the standard of some of most college programs. But and those exist in all divisions, right? Whether they're NAI, Division One, uh, Division One skews more competitive, division two and three, there's a ton of overlap, but certainly as you get down into division two and three and the NAI, you're going to have some programs that are funded less and, and are at the lower end of the, the, the curve. But the reality is I don't think high school kids and their parents are, are particularly well equipped to just to, to figure that out. I'm a big fan of ask the coach, not don't ask your high school coach, ask the college coach. You, hey, you think I could play at Ohio state? There's one guy whose job is 100% to determine whether you can play at Ohio State, you should email him. If he ignores you, that's your answer, right? You're not playing there. They can only recruit so many guys or girls or whatever it is. Like, if they don't, that's it. Like, ask them. I always get confused when people, like, want to, maybe my club coach will know. Maybe I'm like, if you want to know, like, how to do something, ask the person who's the expert. You don't. You know, if you want to know how to fly a plane, ask a pilot. Amen. Well, so it, it sounds like a lot of the student athletes that I, because I don't get into the weeds of student <laughs> athletics, I'm a college major and career coach. So, but when I'm talking to the students that I'm working with to try to figure out the major and the career in their student athlete, a lot of them are focused on that. Oh, I'm looking for a D2 school or a D1. And it, it really now you've convinced me like that is not the right way to look at it. And I'm even guessing that if you're, you know, an elite athlete, so of that 5% of high school students and my daughter, by the way, was one of that. She did gymnastics for 14 years. And by the time she got to the end of high school, she's like, I'm ready to, I would try to encourage her to look at even club gymnastics. She's like, I don't want to. And my body says, I don't want to, because yeah. gymnastics is a little hard on your body. Uh, or a lot hard on your body, but there could be, a, if there's elite, so if you're elite, you're maybe the top half percent or the top 1%, you actually conceivably, and correct me if I'm wrong from what you just said, could be on a better or more elite team that's division two than possibly even a less competitive D1. Well, I think I would look at it holistically. Like I, I'll name two schools. I like Murray State. It's a really nice school, right? Kentucky, but, my part yeah. of the country again. But, you know, if you have a choice between, like, Washington University, St. Louis, and Murray State, how many kids choose Murray State? I mean, it, I, I would think not many for very good reasons, right? Not any criticism of, of Murray State, which is very – but they're D1, and Washington University, St. Louis is D3. Uh, so – and I always tell clients, I say, well, how do you think the colleges are divided? They go, well, and sometimes I'll say size. And I laugh. I go, what's the biggest college in the United States? 
New York University, right? NYU, over 100,000 students. They're D3. It's not sucks. Mount St. Mary's has 1,000 students in Maryland. They're D1. The way it works is a college signs up. If the president signs up and they meet, there, there are some minimums they have to meet. But the colleges choose Division One, Two, Three, NAIA, USCAA. Then there's all the junior college circuits. It, it's really, for your fit, it's about making a list. I think the first thing is, you know, even if you're a 4.0 student, you don't apply to Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and stop there, right? You start with a little bit of a balanced list. And then, you know, you see where there's mutual interest. And then you've got to start to think about, so, you know, then you can collapse your list towards where there's mutual interest, wherever that is. And then you build it back out because, you know, what if you're going to a school, there's one division three coach I know, and we have very different philosophies of of life. She's a very nice person, by the way. But, you know, if you're a bio major and your lab conflicts with practice, she's like, well, you can't do it. That's what I want to talk about that because... I mean, I know you know, and by now, or if this is not somebody's first episode, they know that, you know, my passion is equipping students to know themselves deeply enough, have great self-awareness so that they're making really informed decisions on the major, the academic side, right? The major, the colleges that are best for that major, where it's going to set them up, not for the four years they're in college, but the 40 plus years that they're going to work, right? I always say, let's begin with the end in mind, which college we want you to have a great Right. Time. How do you, how do you find that great fit? And right. it's got to fit academically, athletically. I mean, that's where, for me, I'm in my fifth year as college athletic advisor and sooner or later, someone's going to transfer, man. I, I promise. But right now of all the hundreds of kids we work with, we have zero who have transferred, except for, I mean, I have transfer clients, but the, uh, none, of, none of the kids who, because nobody, and I always tell, so you want to pick the right school the first time, you're taking a year, maybe two or three, and you want to make your best choice because no matter how much you love working with me and we have a great time, nobody calls me up and says, listen, man, that was fun. Let's do it again next year. For students who are, some majors, I, for instance, one time I was working with a student who at the University of Cincinnati, and I'm going to pick on him on this one. I, my daughter goes there. It's a great school. But he was pre-med. He was also a baseball player. And he got down there and realized that labs would always, that he had to have, would always conflict with practice and the coach wouldn't budge. And he actually ended up transferring to Bowling Green State University to do pre-med because he was able to. So. Are you, what I hear you saying is that's really about the coach? Well, yeah, it's, it's people, right? You've got nursing majors are famous for this, right? It's really tough to be a nursing major and a college athlete. And that's a truism. People say it all the time. It's not not true, but it's very school specific. If you have a coach and a nursing advisor who are willing to work together and focus on you being successful as a student and a student athlete, it is 100% possible. Like there's every school can accommodate, but if you have, it only takes one of those people to be not very broad visioned, I guess would be the way to say it. I don't want to say jerk, Uh, but someone who's not really thinking globally and they're worried about their, then there's nursing advisors who are like, dude, you're going to do nursing when I say there's no flexibility. And then the coach has to decide how they're going to handle that. And there's coaches who say uh, there's, there's coaches like at Emory who will tell you, no, you can't do that lab and see we're in season and you got to decide what you care about. So what 
on the front side of this, because we're giving advice to people that are in in the throes of the college bound journey, right? You already gave great advice about, okay, ask the coach if, and if they don't respond, then they don't think that you're worthy of playing at the college level. So what questions and of whom should you ask if the major you're considering, if that's going to be doable as a student athlete at a particular university, who do you ask and what do you ask? I think you need to ask the coach. Like one of the things is, do you have anybody who's majoring in X on the team that I can talk to and see how that, you know, because if they have somebody, you have somebody who's blazed that path. That's a lot easier, right? Then, you know, the coach says, well, we did this, you know, and I think you want to get a feel. How does the coach address time conflicts with classes? Does the coach tell you to train, switch classes? And some schools have options. Like at University of Michigan, you cannot offer a class without an alternative mm. that doesn't fit in the athletic window. You just can't do it. If you want to offer a lab in that afternoon athletic window, you got to offer an option in the morning too. That's a great policy. So that's a question. Right. That so that's you could ask like how do you require labs to be available outside of the athletic practice window? Right. And or I think you asked you got to ask the coach cuz I, I had a student who uh, I'll call out University of Wisconsin Madison. Uh, this was a long time ago this coach was fired. Not, okay, not, so I have no coach idea. Isn't there, right, not so, there. Yeah, we're don't not hold really this against, picking on them, but right, is, don't hold yeah. it against the Badgers as a whole. But yeah. he recruited this very good runner, and the runner went to Wisconsin because their philosophy program is really strong. And he wanted to be a philosophy major at the University of Wisconsin. And he got up there, and the coach said, Yeah, I know we talked about that, but you're going to be a recreation major because that otherwise interferes. With what? I mean, philosophy major interferes with running? Like, come on. Anyway, so. Pascal's still bitter about it all these years later that he was a rec major because he went along with the coach. He was a three-time NCAA champion, all right? Like in cross country, like they all run around and he finished first, not the team, him. Like wow. he could have majored in philosophy. Like that was, so you, yeah. but he didn't ask, I guess to me, like he didn't drill down enough with that coach about the coach's philosophy. He talked running, he talked, you've got to stop and say, I'm going to go to school here. Because if the coach tells you in the recruiting process that you can do it, they're kind of on the hook, right? You can call, yeah. you can make it hard. They'll go along with it. If you don't kind of nail that down, and it's also, if you're going to talk about something, and people know, the ones that have labs that are more conflict-ridden, engineering, nursing, you know, lab science majors, you know, Probably, you got to talk. About edu- what about education? Because you have to do... Yeah, you got student teaching. Teach. You've got to do. You've got to do field experiences. Anything with a field experience, or now, now what comes into my mind also is like uh, fine arts. You have to have lots of time in the studio. Yeah, I think for art. Well, regardless of program, while you're there, you got to talk to the advisor that you're going to in those programs or professors in those programs and get a feel. Like because the other thing is, forget about whether there's going to be conflicts about time. Do you want to be you, do you want to be in a program where they're not going to be supportive of student athletes or they're going to say, hey, I don't like you because you're an athlete? Like, to me, you want to make sure you sort that out ahead of time. Like, how do you feel about athletes? There are programs, and it doesn't matter what it is, art, theater, whatever, where you, that, you know, Paul Robeson, Robeson, Paul Robeson was a, you know, brilliant actor at Rutgers. He was also a brilliant, you know, football player and a, the top student in the school. And there was evidently no conflict with, as far as, 
doing those things. He did all of them. You know, those guys worked it out. And so there's places where they're going to love you because you, they understand you're contributing to the college. And, you know, there's also professors who at some point were locked in a locker or something by a football player and resented it and, you know, want to take it out on a gymnast. And I don't understand that, but I think, you know, it's a big world out there. Ask them ahead of time. That's 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 part of your due diligence. That's really the takeaway here from this pod. I mean, it's ask the questions of the college level in advance. Because yeah. to your more- point, it is way too much work to go through. It's it's huge work for a non-student athlete to go through the college selection application navigation process, but it is that exponentially for student athletes and you don't want to have to do it again. Well, the other part is you have access to better information. You're not going on the college. You don't sign up for a college tour through the website, right? You're talking to the coach. They're taking you around there. You're meeting faculty. You have have access, right? You have a, a platform, the college search. I always tell kids, if you're not sure about whether you want to play in college, be a recruited athlete. You'll have a better college choice than you would otherwise. And you can always not play, but go through the process, learn about the schools. Also, you know, applying and turning all your stuff in and then going like this for like three months while the college does what exactly, you know, I remember one year where we were understaffed and there were tables of applications like stacked to the ceiling and they would come in and work on the left side and push them all. You know, that sucks. If you're an athlete, you know, they go up to admissions, the coach says, hey, man, can you take a look at this? They look at it. They're like, yeah, you're in. You're going to have an earlier answer. Well, you just have an answer right away. Yeah. Well, this is this is absolutely fantastic. So I stand corrected. It is not about division one, two, three or other. It is about are you an elite athlete? You can be an elite athlete at any of those. But you better be asking the right questions of the coaches so you don't have to do a do-over. Dave, thank you so much for making time. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, we're going to go ahead in the show notes. We're going to list how people can find you if they want your expertise at College Athletic Advisors. If they want to be supported through that, you guys look work with athlete, all types of athletes. So we'll get that in the show notes so they can stay in touch. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dave.